0: Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Hi, everyone. I want to make sure to mention that if you can, please go to patreon.com indoctrination and become a supporter of the show for any amount, because it's something that's going to be able to keep it on the air. And I would love to be able to do that. For all the people who have become regular listeners and all the people who are new listeners, who are just finding it to be very helpful to them in their lives. Also, if you want to tell your story, if you have a story to share that you think would be helpful to the people listening to this podcast, or if you know someone who has a story to share, please have them get in touch with me, or you can get in touch with me at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. And again, in order for me to tell your story and other people's stories and have you share what happened to you potentially, we have to keep the show on the air. Go to patreon.com slash indoctrination, and let's work together to keep it going. And so now, on today's show, we have the second part of my conversation with Claudine. She had been involved in the Mormon Church for 27 years, and it had given her a sense of community and safety and connection and had given her so many of the answers that she was looking for. But then something shifted, and she wanted to be able to tell her story and the story of her family. And I want to make sure that people are aware that when I share a story about a particular religion, or my guest does, they're speaking from their experience, and I'm speaking from what I've heard within my experience. So we're not speaking for the entire organization or everyone in it. What is important, though, is that sometimes people will have a different kind of experience than others, and they want to be able to say it out loud. They want to be able to use their experience to assist other people who might be having some of the same struggles and some of the same questions. Here is Claudine now. I wanted to also say, the way that you responded to your son was really quite beautiful because you made it safe for Mm -hmm. him to be able to open up to you and that you took what he said seriously enough where you did your own research to to verify uh, instead of just saying that he was um, somehow confused Mm -hmm. and you were gonna help kind of enlighten him or help him get back on track. That Mm -hmm. you were gonna say, I'm gonna do my due diligence and I'll get back to you. And that's very respectful. Uh, But then you found out a lot of things (laughs) that were really hard to take in. Uh And so then where did you start? So here you have this, this quake, you have the wreckage around you. What did you do? Well, that's a really good
1: question. Um, I turned in my temple recommend. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I went and I talked to the local leaders in my area, and I kind of, I let them know where I was at. Um, I'm probably a little bit more direct than a lot of LDS people, I -hmm. think, in part because I wasn't raised in it, maybe. (laughs) So I'm, I'm, I just kind of went and, and said, and this is, I could answer these questions in a way that I felt okay about a few weeks ago or a few months ago, whenever I had my lust, but I don't anymore. I'm not comfortable, you know? And I thought for a while, I might be able to attend as a non-believing Mormon because I still love the people. I love Mm -hmm. the community. Mm -hmm. But it became very clear to me that it still wasn't okay to discuss the things that I was learning because there was concern there about other people's testimonies. And how would it impact their
0: testimonies if you shared what you were finding out?
1: Exactly. And I felt like I was put in this situation where I, if I went to Sunday school class, for example, and I heard certain things and I knew they were not accurate, you know, I was in a p- position where if I say nothing, to me that didn't feel honest, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. To just say, like, well, actually, mm-hmm. you know that, and and to say something, mm-hmm. meant that I'm the one that is. I'm taking on a responsibility that I don't want, mm-hmm. and that I don't feel is mine, and I have no, you know, people aren't looking to me as the authority anyway, right? Okay. <laughs> so. I just felt stuck. So, my husband and I, we both stopped attending fairly quickly and began reading a ton. Okay. I want to say like thousands of pages of things we had, you know, church history, original documents, like uh, again, all those things that we couldn't read before, Mm -hmm. where we felt bad about. Mm you know because we were basically told that you know they were a minimum half truths and that the people were out to get the church and i didn't realize how much i had been indoctrinated to resist what is called anti mormon literature or not to read it mm-hmm. until i found myself trying to explain to some people how I didn't lose my testimony by reading anti-Mormon literature. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there was still a part of me that, and that would be bad. That would have meant I was disloyal and you need to know I'm a person, right? right? Yeah. So I had to explain, and I didn't do that horrible thing, mm-hmm. right? And it wasn't until like a year or two later that I'm like, but wait, <laughs> that's crazy that I thought that, you know? That I felt so guilty about reading, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. and. And this is the part where you know I started to really learn kind of this box I had gotten myself into, um, that I had taken on beliefs without recognizing I had. Oh, wow, okay. Right, like the anti-Mormon right. literature is this thing that should be avoided.
0: Right, okay, so interesting. Right, and that's also a very common thing to learn to ignore to mm-hmm. To dismiss mm-hmm. a lot of what is sort of reality testing um, and that that's a way that organizations keep people kind of adhering to the belief system, which is mm-hmm. its own system of control or coercion. And so I would love for you to be able to talk about if there were other techniques that you noticed in retrospect as things were sort of... Um, uh becoming either clearer to you or because you had stepped back you had the vantage point then of seeing it what other sorts of things did you realize were coercive tactics for you well i
1: think that one of the trickiest pieces is that mormonism interprets emotion for its people it teaches a interpretation of how they should think about their feelings. So in Mormonism, good feelings come from God. They're a sign that something is true, mm-hmm. that you're on the right track, mm-hmm. that all is well, right? Mm-hmm. Uncomfortable emotions, you know, or negative feelings. Anger is a sign of Satan or, you know, uh, it's not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Contention is really bad, okay? <laughs> um And, but any uncomfortable emotion could mean that you have done something wrong, that you're on the wrong track, that it isn't true, or, you know, that Satan is trying to tempt you, uh, that you've, I think I said, you know, that you've done something wrong. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. anyway, all of these pieces, right? So you can imagine that if you do begin to read some of this material, that isn't flattering and is very not faith-promoting, mm-hmm. you're gonna have some uncomfortable emotions. And if you interpret those immediately, um, yeah. right, yeah. as, oh, that's Satan, you know, it's a sign you're on the wrong track, right, then of course you're gonna shut down and mm-hmm. decide, I'm not going there, that was bad, <laughs> and come back. So this this is a very powerful, you know, piece, I think. Mm-hmm. Um and keeps a lot of people from
0: looking any further yeah right right because then they're having kind of a natural reaction um kind of engaging their critical thinking Mm -hmm. and then that is considered to be from all these other negative sources or something because you did something wrong so right it keeps you in this loop where Mm -hmm. you come back to needing to either dismiss Mm -hmm. those feelings or the information that you received, not being upset about it uh and so right it's sort of kind of maintaining the status quo so what's also true is and i've heard there have been some actually some nice and some positive shifts that have taken place organizationally within the mormon church where there is a move towards more inclusion And um, shifting some of the uh, responsibilities and the demands to kind of incorporate more modern way of thinking to sort of increase their numbers, I think, or maintain Mm -hmm. numbers. And so I want to make sure to acknowledge that while at the same time knowing that there's still a lot of pieces to it that are going to seem intolerant, that -hmm. are going to seem exclusionary. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you can talk about that, what you know... About yeah, it positive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
1: some of the changes that I think are positive, Um, it used to be that you had to wait a year to be sealed in the temple if you didn't get married there, even if you were worthy, according to Mormon standards, to marry in the temple. Um, for example, if you had, like in my case, <laughs> parents who are not members of the church and who cannot enter the temple could not see the wedding right Mm -hmm. you still you had the choice either you go there or you have to wait a year Mm -hmm. to be sealed there wasn't an option of getting married civilly Mm -hmm. and then going you know the next day or the next week or whatever and just doing this as a separate ceremony Mm -hmm. Um, it was kind of an all-in-one and you know that was Very traumatic for me when I went through it. I'm very glad that people don't have to make that choice um, anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Two-hour church, I guess, is another (laughs) change. People, It used to be three hours. Now it's gone to two hours. A lot of people really like that Uh change. Uh (laughs) Um, When my son served a mission, we got four phone calls total. Um, they were video calls, but it was really just four times in two years that we were able to talk to him, hmm. which you can imagine how challenging that would be in our yes. particular circumstances, yeah. especially, right? Right. Um, so now missionaries can call home like every single week. Uh-huh. Like it's a huge change in that number of huge. times. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're allowing that connection. I think they had a ton of missionaries go home because of anxiety and, you know, they're trying to allow some family support mm-hmm. and the missionaries are leaving younger. So they used to be 19 for boys. Now it's 18. So they're leaving right out of high school, which is, that's a big shift going from living at home to suddenly gone two years, not even college in between. Yes. So um, that's a positive, you know, change as well. They, they, did have a policy that was, I, I get a little speechless about this one, but um, just awful. <laughs> uh, where they, for a while, they said that children of married gay couples um, could not be baptized. So if you were a child whose, you know, parents were divorced, one of your parents remarried somebody of the same gender, right? It didn't matter if the that family was supportive, or any of these mm-hmm. other things. You suddenly could not be baptized. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So they were treating it similarly to how they treat polygamous marriage. You know oh, now. Okay. Okay. so if somebody goes off and joins a polygamist right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then they're like, well that could create conflict so that's what they they said. but it was it was horrendous. Um, most people didn't even believe it was real for first like there's no way the church would do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they found out that they did and that Russell M. Nelson who then was a an apostle who is now the current prophet of the church, but at that point he called it revelation Mm -hmm. in -hmm. one of the talks he gave. Mm -hmm. Um, They have now rescinded that policy and have suggested, or at least strongly implied, that by revelation they rescinded it. Okay, People are relieved it's gone, but on top of that have a... Of other mixed emotions, uh, because of the messages it sent, the challenges for L (laughs) B G T Q I A, you know, youth, and you know the people who have committed suicide really because they haven't seen an option that they will be accepted. There's no way to to both be who they are. To find love and connection, and stay Mormon. Hmm. Okay. You know, they either have to be celibate their whole lives mm-hmm. and not act on it, mm-hmm. um, and or you know they are basically in danger of excommunication.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, pretty pretty
1: strong. Um, yeah.
0: Okay. And so you talk about suicides, which is something that I that I didn't know about. And I uh-huh. I'm curious if we can talk a little bit about that. So I I don't think that it is happening all the time necessarily, but it's happened enough where it's clearly upsetting. And even as you're talking about it. So what can you let us know about that? What do you know? Yeah,
1: I I know that the the suicide rate among um LBG- T, that's, that's a tongue twister for me sometimes. Anyway, it's high in, in Utah, um, in particular. Of course, you know, suicide is a complex problem. You know, people don't usually kill themselves just because of, you know, one factor. <laughs> There's usually a lot of factors that go into play. I understand, you know, there can be many. At the same time, uh, the stories that are coming out are very, very real where people feel trapped. You know, I have talked to several young people who are now out as gay or lesbian and have been willing to talk to me and as they share some of the challenges of their teenage years and what it was like, you know, I. Man, I feel the pain. I've talked to youth who have been suicidal and have who attempted it, even mm-hmm. though they didn't actually succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them, his, was about to hang himself when his mom came in, oh. and oh. Uh, yeah, it, it was close. It breaks my heart, honestly, to think he felt that backed into a corner. That mm-hmm. he felt he, he calls it spiritual abandonment. You mm-hmm. know, there was no. It's a case where he knows his family loves him. He knows his family are good people. Mm-hmm. Yet the parameters of their religious belief also say certain things are not okay or not acceptable. But to him, that's him, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And he, th- this particular person knew he couldn't be celibate forever. He needed human connection. Mm-hmm. And so he felt like there's no way to make this work so in his youth he went back and forth between you know being rebellious and trying to do the mormon thing and then going suicidal (laughs) and kind of this circle back and forth Mm -hmm. he was actually diagnosed with bipolar and he's not bipolar Uh, (laughs) but he just couldn't make these fit (laughs) for him and he couldn't be accepted and you couldn't talk about it Mm -hmm. there was no other option it's just the way it is you know because everybody says but
0: this is god's will or god's
1: plan it's not my plan it's god's plan so
0: Yeah, yeah yeah right and also the idea of being diagnosed with bipolar when it is exactly as you're saying that someone feels that they're not quite sure if there's any decision that's going to be good for them. Uh And so they will try to be rebellious, as you're saying, or just shut down. Uh And they can mimic a lot of different disorders. But really, it seems like the issue was a lack of acceptance and being taught that you are not okay the way you are, but there's nothing you can do about the way you are, Uh because that's how you're wired and that's how you were born. I think there's also a question that comes into play in religious organizations where people will say, I believe that God created all of us. So why would God have created us in a way that is then going to make us unacceptable in mm-hmm. a place of God? Right. So, I mean that, right, that's kind of an interesting question. And yeah. Something- actually the,
1: the young man that I talked to, who I'm telling this particular story about, said he felt that inside himself sometimes Mm -hmm. when he was younger. And it was, you know, that was his inner voice saying that, but all the people around him in his community Mm -hmm. that he trusted, that he loved, that he respected, that he thought were smart, that he knew were good people, Mm -hmm. you know, were giving this other message unified, right? Coming at him. so how do you when you're young trust that right when everybody around you that's older and you're supposed to look you know kids naturally do Mm -hmm. and teens even though they may not admit it Mm -hmm. they still do look to adults in their lives
0: that Uh they respect
1: right Mm -hmm. and so it
0: it can be so extraordinarily confusing right Mm -hmm. yeah and isolating yes and not knowing if there's anyone to talk to, because if uh-huh. everyone around you is saying the same things uh-huh. and it's contrary to what you are needing from them and what you're needing to hear in order uh-huh. to feel okay, then it's very scary. You can feel very much alone. It's reminding me of when you were saying that there was this, all this sort of rubble around you and who do you talk to about right. it? Yeah. And so I think when you're in these systems, it it is hard to know that there is someone you can go to who will say, you know what? I get. I get why you're feeling that way. Yeah. Or I've also been, you know, struggling with this. Instead, it feels like they need to uphold the teachings or yes. the theology instead yeah. of sort of meeting you exactly. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. okay, you've got it. They they feel like they're if they're not being the responsible, you know, member of the church. If they like, I mean, they can listen, they can mm-hmm. understand, and some people do. A lot more Mormons uh, are. Believing Mormons are becoming very nuanced in this particular arena. Great. A lot of them, you know, it's the, so many people know somebody or have a member of their family. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, through the process of talking to them and considering and, you know, more and more people are being willing to discuss it. Mm-hmm. So I think the, that many, many are shifting their beliefs mm-hmm. here, not everyone and definitely not the le- the current leadership
0: mm-hmm. who's
1: holding a very strong stance in terms of the marriage piece, right? Uh, you know, okay. at least, or just that, you know, Mormons believe in the law of chastity, which is no, not having sexual relations until you're married and that marriage is between a man and a woman is what they teach now, even though they practice polygamy go, <laughs> right? One man, one woman. But anyway, now they say one man, one woman. And I mean, yeah. And uh so any same gender sexual relationship, whether married or not married, mm-hmm. is outside of the jurisdiction of the law of chastity. And... What's even crazier, and they still teach this in the youth pamphlet today, that any violations of the law of chastity are next to murder. Oh, wow. okay? okay. And so, and this can even mean masturbation. I know of people who have like been suicidal, teenagers, because of, you know, not being able to stop that and just mm-hmm. deciding they're defective, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And anyway, that's a, that's another story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. these issues are very, very challenging to the youth, you know, to be taught this. And so if you've already committed a sin next to murder,
0: (laughs) right? Either they're like, it it can, people can go in a variety of directions if they really, Mm -hmm, you know, believe mm -hmm. that. And then there are practices also that some people know about and others that are kept, as I was told, sort of kept secret. I don't know if that's Right. Yes.
1: Yes. Um, There, the endowment, the initiatory and the endowment ceremony, LDS people would say it's sacred, not secret. This is what they're taught, right? But there are specific parts that happen there that people are um, put under oath not to reveal, Mm -hmm. right? So people used to think you can't talk about any of it or God doesn't want you to talk about any of it, I should say. Mm -hmm. Um, Now people are feeling more comfortable talking about aspects of it, but there are certain pieces
0: that any devout Orthodox believing Mormon would not. And so then I wonder, okay, so shifting the word from secret to sacred. Mm -hmm. So is there an explanation about why some of the things are kept sacred and not for everyone to know about? That's a really interesting question.
1: I I'm I'll tell you how I would have answered that in my believing Mormon yeah, days, yes, sir. okay? Uh-huh. <laughs> I would have said that when you go to the temple and take on these covenants, their promises, and that you are being given that puts you under extra responsibility to mm-hmm. live according to these higher standards, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that they do, that God doesn't want people to attend until they're ready to take those things on, you know, and mm-hmm. to share that, infor- you know, to give that information to them too soon or have them agree would put them in a hard spot, right? Got it. <laughs> That's kind of how I would answer that. Now, uh-huh. Uh-huh. the post-Mormon me, okay, uh-huh. I will tell you that this is an area that has been extraordinarily painful for me mm. to go back and revisit there were some things that i were able i was able to piece together that happened in the temple ceremony that you could were impossible to connect all the dots because little bits of it have been taken out over time mm-hmm. so it doesn't matter how hard you're trying you know you can't see what actually oh, is happening right, right. and you really think it's one thing but if you go back in time and see how it all connects and what What they took out and why you realize what's going on there may not be what you thought. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. For me,
1: man, at one time, I mean, the only word I could use to explain it was spiritually raped. Mm -hmm. I felt that level of violation because I had believed it was sacred, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. then to come to find out that I wasn't given full disclosure Mm -hmm. to choose, in this thing that they said was so important mm-hmm. and so sacred and talked about. And, you know, I, in fact, that day may have been the hardest. And it came a few months after finding out all the information and doing mm-hmm. all the reading. But, you know, in part, as I kept reading, 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 I came across the, some information that helped me put this all together and realize, oh my gosh, I had no idea that this is what was happening. And and I also realized that you only have one opportunity to choose to leave what's called the endowment ceremony. Mm -hmm. You kind of all come into this room. They basically say, you know, If anybody wishes to withdraw, now's the time, Mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. (laughs) They give you this choice. But it happens before you know what you're going to be covenanting to. Before you even know what you're committing. So you can't make an educated decision. Exactly. Got it. Because nobody talks about it. So Uh you're there. You have to. If you're going on a mission, you have Uh to. All your family's there and expecting it. If you're Uh getting married, you have to, Uh you know. And that, and then, you know, and they say some kind of scary things, (laughs) you know, I know it's changed, so I don't know if it still says this, but when I was in there, it was, you know, and God will not be mocked kind of language, right? Mm -hmm. And like, and you're expected to follow everything you commit to here. And, and you think it's a choice. But as I thought through all the language that happens in the temple, I realized that after that one opportunity that you have to withdraw, everything else is just commanded that Mm -hmm. you do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you will now bow your head and say, yes, (laughs) you know, here's the covenant, here's the agreement, here's the obligation, here's what it means, you will now do this, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then you will now do this, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're just like led through it all and there isn't a choice. And so that piece was like to put it all together, like the social pressure, the lack of forthcoming, and then, you know, to realize these historical pieces, how much really the temple is tied to polygamy, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. There are, it's very different what's going on for the men there than for the women.
0: Uh, And um, how would you just elaborate on that? I'm curious.
1: Well, they've taken out some of the language now, which, in some ways, man, i the ideas and the symbols are still there, but the language isn't, which is going to even, like, people are so happy they're taking out the language. From my point of view, where I sit right now, I can only imagine, like, how much harder it is to actually recognize what's happening, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? Because I don't think, and they would say this too, the essentials are actually still happening. They're all the same. They've Mm -hmm. just, you know, altered the expression of it, right? Because the actual ceremony can't be changed. Mm -hmm. But there's a time when, so you make all these covenants, at the end there is a veil, like a curtain, Mm -hmm. and that symbolizes like the end of this life, passing from this life to the next when you go through the curtain. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, they explain how that is to be done and they show it all with the male examples. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and you think it's the Lord on the other side, who's welcoming the people in. And that is the case with the men, Mm -hmm. but on the female side, what's really happening. Okay. Is, the husband becomes the woman's lord, okay? This is not very talked about. For the woman, she is dependent on that specific man. The, the man is never dependent on any specific
0: woman. And what's interesting to me as you're talking um, about the, the husband being the wife's lord, etc., I've met a lot of women who are Mormon who are very strong Mm-hmm. very bright, determined, and I, I'm i wondering how they make sense of that and how that presents in, in their life because I i couldn't imagine them sort of being okay with it on right. every level, uh, nor do they need someone to lord over them. They got it. They got it going, right? right? They, yeah. yeah. So,
1: you know, Mormonism does give everyone, male and female, the opportunities to... Um, teach Mm -hmm. to public speak, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And and a variety of different leadership Mm -hmm. opportunities. For the women, they're never in charge of men. So Mm -hmm. the women are in charge of children or other women. Um, Women can be Sunday school teachers, but there's still somebody who's a male that would be presiding over that Mm. sector of the organization. Mm -hmm. I think also some women Just find other stories, other ways to interpret it. There's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that, Mm -hmm. right? Of course, there can be multiple interpretations Mm -hmm. to a variety of things. I've heard some that I think are amazing. And if you can hold that space in your mind and see it that way, it could be very life affirming. So I'm not saying that that isn't possible. Of course it is. I just believe if you look at the historical evidence, Mm -hmm. you're going to come back to a particular conclusion
0: collusions right that's all okay right and so right i think that's well said because you know as you describe it so i'm i am seeing this um kind of pendulum or maybe just sort of um kind of pieces all along the way from one extreme to the other where there are some people who are going to make sense of it who are also going to say i don't care Mm i i love these people as you were saying yeah these are wonderful people they do wonderful things for each other, I felt really protected and cared for. So yeah, so so these are the teachings. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, I I'm willing to kind of go along with it. It also doesn't present itself as too much of a limitation in my life. Yeah, I'm really receiving the gifts from uh-huh. being a part of this, and then all the gradations in the middle. Yes, to feeling deceived and betrayed. Yes, so. It feels like that's going to be where a lot of people are going to kind of go back and forth whenever there is information also that is kept from people until they've already made a commitment. Mm -hmm. And that's always going to happen when you get involved in a relationship where you thought you knew the person Mm -hmm. and then you find out after, you know, the marriage contract is signed that they have another family or that they're abusive or whatever else mm-hmm. um, or that they're different in some fundamental way, both positive and negative, but you just didn't have the information to make a fully informed decision. Yes. And that bothers some people more than others, just to be honest. Mm-hmm. And so. Yeah. It's, and yeah. there's
1: another piece in the temple where you, you are covenanting to give everything, all your time, your talents, your energies to the church of mm-hmm. Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, not to God. And this is another flag for me, you know, because your connection ultimately, of course, they say, well, this is God's organization, you know, but it's another piece that connects that loyalty, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. now it comes down to, and are you going to keep your temple covenants? Are you going to, you know, lose your, you know, are you going to keep your, and You know, and there's a lot of social pressure that this is what it means to have integrity, Mm. you know. And so if you speak out against it, Mm -hmm. you know, and you have been this person that sees yourself as very committed, Mm
0: -hmm. you
1: know, and in line, this can be very tricky territory for people.
0: Yeah, very. Yeah. Right. Okay, so I'm curious to also go back to something that usually presents itself when people have left something that has been an intensive experience and has also shifted them in a lot of ways uh, and has made them feel that they need to be a certain way or believe a certain way in order to be safe, that when they leave that, they can be very triggered by certain Mm -hmm. times, certain fears. uh, And they realize that that's still, even if they have said, you know, the the theology is not working for me anymore. Still, there are things that are under their skin Mm -hmm. that they notice when they are triggered. And I wonder if that's happened for you as well. Yes, absolutely.
1: In Mormonism, everyone wants to do the right thing, and we want to do it perfectly. And when people come out, what I've noticed is They want to do the post-Mormon right thing and do it all perfectly, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So we keep, take that with us and we feel like we have, there's one right way to do this Mm -hmm. and we might do it wrong, right? And I find it very useful to question that belief Mm -hmm. and to really realize, you know what? We don't have to do it perfect. You know, sometimes I might feel triggered. Sometimes I might cry. Sometimes I might choose to go and wish i wasn't there <laughs> and okay. lear- you know learn something from it maybe right. i'll choose to stay home and and just have my own back and say i'm making this choice for me mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. i'm choosing to give myself some more time before i'm ready to do that or maybe i'll never be ready mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like i think there isn't one right way and if i could you know say anything that i think has been the most valuable is just meeting myself with compassion Wherever mm-hmm. I am, mm-hmm. at whatever, like in just being, and this is where I am right now, mm-hmm. that's the reality that's happening. Yes. <laughs> this is the choice I'm making, mm-hmm. and it's fine.
0: Right. And it's fine. Yeah. Okay.
1: I added a, one other tactic, tec- tec- or tactic, strategy.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> <Technique>, <laughs> <something>. I used, <laughs> was just adding and that, like, tried to figure out what I'm feeling and add the sentence, and that's okay, onto the end oh. of it. So, so instead of, you know, when I was angry at the church, what would be happening is a lot of sentences in my brain about how awful Mormonism is or Mm -hmm. the leaders or whatever at that particular time. And, you know, to realize those are thoughts I'm thinking. So I go to, and I'm thinking the thought, they should not have said that thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So just like acknowledge that's a thought, right? I notice I'm feeling anger Mm -hmm. and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, that's a really, was a beautiful place for me to be, just, oh, and these are my thoughts, these are my feelings, and that's okay. Now, I'm not suggesting, you know, that it would have been a good idea for me to act out in anger, destroy property, hurt people, do violent things. And that, that's a, that's right. a separate, right? But the <laughs> yeah. actual feeling of the emotion, mm-hmm. getting in connection with it, recognizing that it's a sign, first of all, something I value, Cause we don't get angry about things we don't care about.
0: Oh, right. I like
1: and I believe in some ways it's important because it's our, it's my own psyche and body trying to protect me, to remind me and Claudine, you don't want to go back there. Mm-hmm. It's just reminding me like, and they, that organization values some things that are different than what you value. Mm-hmm. And the anger is just showing up to remind you mm-hmm. of that. Like, that it wouldn't be a good idea. You're not, You. not. It's okay for you to be separate. It's mm-hmm. okay. You
0: don't have to see it that way anymore. I really like that. And also just going back to what you were saying about negative emotions and that they are seen as having something wrong or in mm-hmm. some ways a sign about you. And so just being able to access things like anger and to not feel there's some danger in mm-hmm. feeling it seems to be very, um, very different from what you were taught. And mm-hmm um, liberating. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To see the value of it, that Mm -hmm. I can actually utilize it to,
1: I have a process now that I use actually with anger Mm -hmm. that can help me figure out what it is I value. And then what, what emotion I want to use to fuel an action going forward. Okay. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, and that's been very helpful for me.
0: And so just to, to finish up, and I appreciate you sharing so much about your own experiences and also kind of pulling back the curtain a bit for a lot of people listening to find out a little bit more about what happens within the church. I would like to find out about how you're doing, your husband, your kids. Because, you know, when we ended that story, still, there was a lot going on that was making you concerned about Mm -hmm. your older son and your younger son Mm -hmm. had gone on a mission. So how are they doing now? Yes. Um, Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, The
1: kids are all doing well. So I have two boys and a girl. Mm -hmm. Um, We didn't talk about my daughter very much, but she was she was very ready to not be Mormon anymore. That was a pretty easy transition for her. Um, the son that went on a mission has gone to BYU. Um, and what I will say, I believe this is kind of more his story to tell. Um, I, I will say that my relationship with him is fantastic and it's a beautiful thing. Mm. And, um, I think that, the thought that I trust him and I trust our relationship really served me better than any of the other thoughts I had while mm-hmm. he was gone. Mm-hmm. I try to come back to that mm-hmm. and I'm really glad I did. Um, I just really focused on being honest with him about where I was. So he didn't mm-hmm. find out from someone else mm-hmm. without necessarily going into a lot of details, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and loading him up on that, but really explaining my feelings, my, my choices that I wasn't attending these things. Um, and then just tried to, you know, let him know that I loved him and I would support him in his choices and that I believed he would figure out what was right for him. Okay. Yeah. Right. So. Um, it's nice. Very yeah. accepting also.
0: That's
1: important. I think honestly, in many ways, I think, you know, it's just in alignment with reality for us to really think like we can. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like they are going to do what they're going to do anyway, right? (laughs) As parents, if we could just like go there, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we'd probably save ourselves a lot of anxiety. Oh, a lot. Uh, But really say, you know, I do trust him. He's an adult. He's a smart kid. He's going to figure out things, um, whatever they are, what works for him. Um, he's, he's, mm-hmm. he's ultimately going to be a nuanced Mormon, I think, because of, you know, the experiences of his family and things that he'll
0: learn and ask us about. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that idea of being a nuanced Mormon mm-hmm. because then you, yeah, you've been exposed to a lot of information mm-hmm. and then you can make the decision that works for you in your life mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, because things can always change, and uh, based on what you're needing at the time and what you're feeling at the time, but I think it seems like there are things about it that really work for him that he mm-hmm. wants to be able to hold on to, and you are making your way in that relationship with him. I mean, it's, it's also about having a relationship transcend mm-hmm. a belief system, which is always an important message to be able to send a child. Uh, and so, with your older son, yeah, oh my gosh, he
1: is fabulous. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! He ha- he has energy. He's blossomed. He has a full time job. He's living wow. in his own apartment. Mm-hmm. It, you know, mm-hmm. every time I see him, he lights up, mm-hmm. and our relationship has like gone to a whole new level of mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. <laughs> really cool. Um, yeah. So it's good. Our whole family is good. My husband and I, um, fortunately, we've we're good friends. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I think that's been the basis of our marriage, you know, mm-hmm. and with that said, I will still say that, you know, moving from a correlated marriage, right, where you're believing that this structure is kind of given to you of who you're going to be, what you're going to believe, what your roles are, and a lot of your time mm-hmm. kind of taken for you, you know, yeah. by the church, right. to an uncorrelated suddenly where we're both figuring out, okay, well, what do we think as individuals mm-hmm. and how do we want our marriage to look like? Mm-hmm. Um, everything has to be re-looked at. Yeah. It's huge. Mm-hmm. It's a big task.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I totally understand Um why some people like can't make it work, really. It's, uh, and I don't think that there's a lot of support out there for people who are really renegotiating every aspect again. Even if they have a good marriage, Mm -hmm. it's still hard, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) If it Mm -hmm. wasn't good, all that'll come out for Mm -hmm. sure, right? But even if it is, there's a lot of working through
0: that has to take place. That's interesting. And when you're talking about that, there isn't a lot of support out there. If you could sort of develop that, whatever mm-hmm. that looks like, what would be important for people to have who are trying to figure out, and you're right, kind of revisiting every aspect yes. and also still trying to, to a certain degree, wherever it's possible, hold on to a relationship at the same time. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think people need in order to be able to do that? I, I really think primarily
1: the most important thing they can do is develop a sense of self that's different mm-hmm. than what the self was that was given to them, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Mormonism comes with a lot of shoulds, okay. a lot of rules, right, mm-hmm. of what, mm-hmm. who you should be. I also think that for most people, um, Mormonism creates a a belief that we are to be responsible for other people's emotions.
0: Mm.
1: I don't think that's very useful in general and it really will get in your way yeah. in, in this renegotiating piece.
0: Yeah. You've
1: got to have a little flexibility and you've got to realize, you know, my emotions are coming from thoughts in my head and beliefs I have. His are coming from his thoughts mm-hmm. and I can be present for him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't have to fix it. And even if I wanted to, I actually can't. Right. <laughs> right? right. And I can't manipulate myself, you know, to be to try to show up in a way so that he will only feel good, yeah, <laughs> if that makes right. sense. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think as we've given each other the space to mm-hmm, have mm-hmm. even mental breakdowns and crying mm-hmm. moments and don't know if we can make it anymore, but mm-hmm. not make it mean anything about us mm-hmm. or necessarily even about the relationship, that's been what's
0: given us the ability to keep moving through. So nice. This is a really good place to end our talk. I hope we get to talk again, and thank you for sharing all that you are sharing. And so, tell people a little bit about if they wanted to find out more about your experience, if you're online anywhere, and what you're doing. Yes, so I have a website called uh, PostMormonMentalHealth dot com. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: you can email me Claudine at PostMormonMentalHealth dot com, um, and I. I would love to talk to anyone who's, you know, going through any of these experiences. Um, I offer a, you know, a free mini coaching session where somebody Mm -hmm. can come, you know, just talk to me. I hold the space for them. Mm -hmm. Um, I am not a high pressure salesman. I I know uh, people are very afraid sometimes to, you know, come to these types of free things for fear they're gonna get a lot of pressure. Oh, yeah. You know, right. and right. as I think about this very unique audience and how right. vulnerable they are, like the last thing I want to do is be an infomercial or put pressure on another person who's, you know, trying to make new make decisions at a time right. that's very difficult. Right. So I do share just what I offer and, you know, what I think could be valuable for them. Mm-hmm. And I totally let them choose what they want to do.
0: Right. And yes. and going along with what you were saying, if you come from a tradition that has a lot of shoulds, then you're going to be so sensitive about not telling people what they should do.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that they
0: shouldn't have to leave something and they shouldn't have to stay. And yes. if they ha- are considering leaving or if they have left, then you can address what it is that they're needing and give them tools for what they're needing. It mm-hmm. sounds like that's right. more in line yeah, with Yeah, to do. help
1: them like really figure out what are these sentences in their brain, yeah, you uh-huh. know? Right, Helping right. them connect with their emotions, their beliefs, maybe some of them that might be holding them back from, mm-hmm. you know, where they want to go. A lot of people do the work of deconstruction get to that place and then have no idea how to find a sense of self, you know, how to reconstruct, how do I make decisions? How do I trust myself? How, how do I even know what I want? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you were raised Mormon, you probably never even asked yourself, what do I want? (laughs) You know, you were pretty much told what you want and how to get it. Mm -hmm. And so I help people start at a place before that even Mm -hmm. (laughs) to to really begin to develop that sense of self and um, and to grow the skills of being comfortable with their emotions and comfortable questioning their thoughts mm-hmm. and show them some kind of templates of ways they, you know, that they can use as they're making decisions mm-hmm. for themselves. So that wonderful. can be useful. Yeah. Sounds wonderful and very respectful and practical. <laughs> always practical is. that's yes. what it is it's uh-huh. practical it's not for diagnoses I'm not right. a counselor right. but it is a very practical way if you want to just go from where you are and you know move to a different spot with mm-hmm. a little bit more confidence in yourself
0: wonderful great to talk to you thank you, you for too. coming thank in you today. for having me oh you're welcome this has been great oh, I'm glad my pleasure one more thing before you go I value the fact that Claudine is offering her services to help people who have had some questions or who have had some difficulties within the LDS church. And she doesn't need to take the lead per se. She just wants to be able to hear people's concerns or questions and then, I think, guide them very respectfully to help them along their journey. And this reminded me of a story, which I know you know by now seems to happen a lot. This one is about a sect called the FLDS. And to be very clear here and respectful, I know that the LDS church is not connected to the FLDS church, the fundamentalist Latter-day Saints. The FLDS broke off from the main church back in 1889 in order to continue following fundamentalist teachings, including polygamy. Leaders of the FLDS communities were and are considered prophets, and a lot of the world became aware of this group when we heard about Warren Jeffs and his arrest and the raid on the compound in Texas that he inherited from his father. In 2008, I received a call from the commissioner's office from the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services asking me to come to Austin in April of that year to meet with some of the officials and professionals who were helping to coordinate the efforts after the raid had taken place on the FLDS compound. Abuses within the compound were reported to authorities, so the authorities responded. Truth is, there are many times that authorities don't get involved when they actually should, and they leave people to be unprotected, children to feel undefended, and neglected. So on the one hand, it was a step in the right direction for the authorities in Texas to respond, even if there were questions about whether the person reporting the abuses was reliable or not. But what was also true was... There was a lack of full understanding on everyone's part, I think, about what the people needed who were taken off the compound and also what they would be going through. So I knew I might be walking into a situation where there would be those who had worked hard, really hard, to plan this effort. There would be probably disagreement about it all on different sides, some relief, some anxiety and people who truly wanted to help but were not sure how. This was on charter territory. There would also be people there who had left the compound who could speak from personal experience, which was invaluable. I was sitting a few seats away from Carolyn Jessup, who grew up there, who had been married to one of the leaders and had eight children while in the group. She's written some books about her experiences, and you should check them out. Some other former members also have written books. Carolyn's books include the book Escape and a book called Triumph. And as far as I know, this was the largest raid of its kind, and the outcome of it all and the long-term impact would be unknown for quite some time. So, was it the right idea to expose what was happening on Warren Jeff's yearning for Zion compound in El Dorado, Texas? Yes. Absolutely yes. But Was it handled in a way that was ultimately also potentially traumatizing for some of the women and children taken away from the only place they had ever known? Also, yes. And once the women and children, the children, both boys and girls, were taken off the compound, they needed people to work with them and assess them. And I suppose that was why I and some others were invited to participate after the fact, after the raid had occurred. So... There is a different way of working with people who have been raised in these environments. One does not learn in school how to approach and help young girls, for example, who were raised to feel honored to be chosen to be one of the many wives of much older men, those who believed God wanted them to live this life, and those who had been made to look down on and also be terrified of the world outside simultaneously. That was not part of my graduate school curriculum, I can assure you. But here they were, in the world outside, over 500 people, 400 of them children. I remember having a conversation with one of the many child advocates assigned to the children who were in protective custody and were placed, unfortunately, in military facilities that had conditions that mental health professionals also involved with this whole effort were alarmed by. This child advocate took me aside and asked for advice. She said that she was trying to talk to some of the girls and very young mothers about their rights and that they had constitutionally protected rights and that it was important for them to have the freedom to exercise them. And she said they just stared at her, pretending to not know what she was talking about. So she was stymied and didn't know how to proceed. I'm very glad she was open to asking my advice, as most did not interact with me directly. But the part that really got to me was her use of the word pretending, that they were pretending to not know what she was talking about. I don't think they were pretending to not know, I told her. When you grow up in an environment like that, you don't have rights. You might not know how the world defines the word rights. And you probably have not been taught about the Constitution, because the laws of the country and even the state are not incorporated or used as guidelines within strictly fundamentalist sects, actually, of every religion. So I do believe most of the professionals who gather together in Austin for this day-long meeting wanted to do the right thing, and I applaud an intervention that saves people's lives and renews their hope for a better life and their faith in people in the world and that the world can be a place that cares about them, and there are people out there that they don't have to be as afraid of as they have been conditioned to be. But from the people I have talked to who have been involved in groups where they were taken forcibly off their compounds by protective services or by the police, that experience in and of itself was also a trauma that stayed with them. Even if people were being abused in any way, were malnourished, kept from medical care, emotionally nearly destroyed even at a young age, still having people charge in with guns and pull you away from all you know and into the world that you're supposed to be afraid of, and you don't know how to behave in, and it's filled with people you don't know how to understand or who understand you, or even you don't know how to talk to. This is not something most of us can relate to on the same visceral level as those who have experienced it themselves. We can only imagine how overwhelming it would all be. And when there are different agencies and organizations and departments and professionals involved in this effort, there can be and has been disagreement about the best ways to intervene and who should call the shots. When you're trying to save someone's life because you believe or have evidence that they are in danger, you are a hero in my eyes, but you still want to understand the impact that the rescue effort will have on them. I am not at all saying not to do it. I am saying to be aware that you are changing the course of somebody's life and therefore to be open to learning about how to address what they will need during and after and have as coordinated an effort as possible to protect them both physically and emotionally. And this may seem like an obvious point to some of you, but the reason I stress it so much is that I've talked to enough people who were taken off of compounds and I have seen a wide range of results from those who remain traumatized for many years to come because of the way the raid was handled to people who were brought out and were actually relieved to be rescued but were left then and were left to fend for themselves and not given resources and guidance and emotional support and assistance. So they have continuously felt isolated and ill-equipped. Because people rescuing them thought that that would be enough for them just to be rescued, to take them away from the situation they were in, and that somehow then they would be fine. But the rescue was just the first step. The people who were rescued physically, but also taken care of to the best of people's ability emotionally, and given guidance and support, not only fared much better, but got to experience something that they hadn't experienced before, that what they needed both physically and emotionally, suddenly mattered. And it mattered to other people and people out there in the world. Never underestimate the power of sending someone that message. Because for some, it's the very first time in their lives they've ever known it. Talk to you next week. Indoctrination is available for download on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and more. Please support Indoctrination at patreon.com indoctrination. Subscribers receive bonus episodes, interviews, and other cool goodies. Send us an email at indoctrinationshow@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thank you for your support.